difficult geocaches to get to in the world is in the Congo, near Kinshasa. Uh, it's near a an obscure tribe called the Bateke people, and the Bateke people and the village is trying to preserve its culture. Many of the young people are going to the city. They go to Nairobi. They go to um, Kinshasa. They go to other big cities. And they become educated and westernized, um, and it's possible that the culture from this tribe actually might evaporate in a few generations. Well, they have this special site right near this uh, little waterfall and this little hut on a sacred spot that they reserve for, for visitors to come and rest at. It's not meant to be overnight, um, but rather as a spot to come up to the river and just look at the beautiful nature there, enjoy the jungle. The cache is behind, what, from what I can tell here in the directions, it looks like it's behind the waterfalls. You have to cross the Wamba River and hike to this spot. There are a lot of different routes to get there, but you look for a small trail through the jungle. You follow it up to that sacred spot where the, the hut is. Once you get to ground zero, then you have to go into the falls or something like that. That's all the hints I can get here. Anyway, I thought that was really interesting. Um, that's one of the harder ones to get to. So if anybody goes to to meet the Bateke people and visit their sacred spot and gets this geocache again, send me a picture if you would. That'd be great. Welcome to Geocaching Scripture. Geocaching Scripture, tiny treasures and the big truth. Um, so geocaching, if you don't know what it is, is kind of this hobby sport of finding these little treasures around. Um, a lot of it uses GPS technology, and you're you're looking and you're finding uh, whatever it may be. Sometimes, you know, it's a bucket with a whole bunch of different stuff in it. Um, sometimes just trinkets and toys and that kind of thing. And sometimes it's just a little, almost like the size of a film canister. And it might be, um, I found one that was, mag that was on magnets that was stuck to the inside of an ugly modern art statue. And inside, you know, there's a little log of people found it, and you just sign that and say that you've been there. Um, geocaching is about the treasure hunt. It's about the finding. Um, and to me, it kind of came across as perfect metaphor for uh, where I am in my relationship with Scripture. Uh, as I get older, as I've been to seminary and read some good books and, and had coffee with people that are a lot smarter than me, um, I've been able to find these, these little geocaches, these little treasures um, in in the well-worn stories, the well-worn trails, to stick with the metaphor, of what I'm used to in Scripture. Um, and, you know, and I, I'm, I'm evangelistic. Um, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm from deep within the church itself, born on Saturday and church on Sunday, so it all can get a little bit, yeah, 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 to me, a little bit old to me. I mean, evangelistic. Amy Grant was my teenage crush. Age difference be darned all the way to heck. I loved her. We had something special. Anyway, that's the way it is, you know, and, th and then you get to where you spend so much time in Scripture that, that it gets, because of your own humanity, because of my own inattention to the whole thing, it can get boring. And so these geocaches have helped me to put some of the joy back in the pursuit of what's going on in Scripture. I think the Holy Spirit was the first geocacher. He was the first one who put these treasures there for us. And our job is to find them, and that is enough introduction. Here we go. Woo! Okay, all right. 
So, today's geocache. Oh, yeah. Introduce myself real quick. I'm, my name is Josh. Uh, broadcast to you from um, uh, Blanket Fort. Um, I have three kids, and they let me live in the house, and sometimes I hide away and throw a blanket over my head. I do not have a soundproof studio, so this kind of helps with the sound, although it does not help with the sweaty, humid, smells-like-my-breath sort of atmosphere in here, so we'll keep it short. Matthew 2, verses 1 to 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. The wise men. The wise men are these interesting, obscure figures um, that, that make up part of the nativity scene. Even though technically they shouldn't, they probably didn't get there until Jesus was a few years old. And by then, I'm, I'm hoping that Joseph and Mary were able to spring for at least kind of a studio apartment of some kind. Um, but zero in on, on this verse itself, what it says. It says, born king of the Jews, we have seen his star. We have seen his star. So wise men, the wise men in this case, magi, uh, which is one of these words, uh, you know, our word magic comes from it. Um, they were these... Uh, I don't what you want to call them, mystics, uh, psychics, um, people that dealt with things like interpreting dreams and astronomy and astrology. And astronomy and astrology were pretty much synonymous in the ancient world. So they would have been looking at the stars a lot and looking for corresponding activity on Earth. And the interesting thing here is that right around, um, historically right around the birth of Christ, Jupiter, which was known as the king of the planets, was in alignment with Saturn, and Saturn had it long been associated with the Jewish people in the ancient world. So king, Jews, king of the Jews. This would have been an association that they saw in the sky. And that's very interesting. It's very interesting. So this, these people that read the skies for signs and all sorts of things, I mean, now we associate, most of the time we associate astrology with weird 900 numbers and um, a sort of dusty part of the newspaper that is next to the crossword. But back then, it was one of the ways to, to try to map out a very, very uncertain, very scary universe. And they see Jupiter, Jupiter and Saturn come together. And in a way, that's what brings them on this journey. It's very interesting. So these are extremely wealthy people, um, and the gifts that they brought, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, which interpreters have tried to look at for centuries, try to figure out what's the gold for, what's the frankincense, yeah, yeah, there's a whole discussion on, on what exactly, which one is for, and why, um, and we don't really know in the end of the day, but we know they were great gifts of extraordinary wealth, and they were the gifts you brought for a king or a god. For a king or a god. These were not gifts that you just brought to say, hey, good luck being a parent. These were gifts of worship. These were gifts of royalty. And here they bring them to an obscure peasant family living on a bad side of town in a totally different country. So who in the world would have known? And of course they go to Herod first. Because Herod is a dignitary in that area. That's what you would do. You would go, you know, I'm looking for the manager. Who's in charge here? And they go and see Herod. And, of course, that situation almost gets them in trouble. But they're warned again in a dream. So I think it's very interesting here 
that on the one side you see shepherds, and you see this message of, of Christ's inclusion, of the way he reaches out to shepherds, which were considered the worst of the worst, the lowest of the lower class, and makes them the heralds. And then he reaches out outside of this nation and across the world at the time to talk to a totally different people, even in a weird language that they would understand, and to bring them in. And that's one of the beautiful stories of Christmas is, is this inclusion of people, bringing together of the human family. But he draws in these, these kings from who knows where. And he doesn't just say, I think you're great and I affirm you in where you are. He does say that. He does say, I want to include you in this story. But he also gives them himself. He gives them himself. And that's one of the one of the interesting discussions in our society now where we see diversity being being so um, so venerated and so lionized and so important, which is a beautiful part of the discussion, seeing all kinds of different diversities and affirming people as made in the image of God, no matter who they are, what they believe, where they come from. Um, but at the same time, the conversation just stops there. And Jesus never never stopped the conversation there. He reached out in diversity to talk to the women at the well, reaching across all these cultural barriers, and then said to her, I who speak to you am he. He offered her himself. He offered her that cohesive story of himself. And the same comes with the three wise men. We have no idea how many there were. Um, but the same comes there. He, he brings them close and then offers them truth to bring back. And that's the interesting thing here. You see this relational, beautiful story ending with these Hebrew shepherds, just as the, Hebrew, as the shepherds have been an image all through the Old Testament. And it's this beautiful continuation story in, in a grounded in heritage and tradition and love. And then also this very strange story of these people that came out of nowhere with these gifts for a God. And it's, it's fascinating that Jesus, at Christmas, combines these two things. So this part of you that has this strong love for your family, which is as solid as rock, and then this part of you that knows, in a strange way, there's something more. There's something more to life. There's something more to love. There's something more to our destiny of who we are. There are these strange incidences of dreams and coincidences, quote-unquote, and running into people you never thought you'd meet, and all these strange things and these miracles that happen. And Jesus brings both of them together in a time we call Christmas, which we try to domesticate and make very normal, and it's anything but. It's getting really hot in the blanket for it, so I'm going to turn it off for the day. Pox you, man. Cheers.